Jesus had some good words to say to his disciples many years ago. And today we get to hear those. He could have said anything. And so over the last weeks, we've been looking at the messages from on the mountain. And we've been able to see what was near and dear to his heart. And today is one of those times when he's looking out amongst these people that he loves. And they're on the slope of this mountain. And and he's beginning to address them with something that if they do this, if they apply this discipline to their lives, not only will it help them to survive, but it will help them and take them to a level where they thrive. So Jesus finds himself... Could have talked about anything. I mean, just think about that. If you had a chance to say words, what would you say in your final messages or some of your first messages to those that you love? And so when I read through the Sermon on the Mount, a part of me says, we better listen to this. And so today, Jesus is going to give us another step of obedience. Another step, if we implement this into our lives, then we'll become who we've been created to be. Generally speaking, most people live their entire lives not reaching their redemptive potential. Whether you're female or male, whether you're a student or non-student, whether you're old or young, some people never reach their full potential in Christ because of lack of obedience. And so once again today, Jesus is giving something to us. And he says this, if we apply this to our lives, We'll move beyond the survival mode into the thrive mode. What is exact, he's telling us what we should exactly do. All of us have been created with different vessels, with different sizes, with different shapes. Let me try to demonstrate this. This morning I walked down to my garage and I went to my workbench and I grabbed some wrenches. Every one of these wrenches is a little different in shape than the other. Here's a three-quarter inch. Here's a a five-eighths, here's a half-inch, and here's a quarter-inch. Even though they're all different sizes and different shapes, not one is more important than the other. In fact, if you had a quarter-inch bolt that you needed to remove or tighten, you would take a quarter-inch wrench. If you had a three-quarter inch, you would take a three-quarter inch and turn. Every one of these is a valuable asset and tool to a carpenter, to a mechanic, to a fix-it-upper. These tools all carry the same value. They have the same purpose, but they're just a different size. Christians are the same way. Some are small, some are medium, some are large, some are extra large. And so we've all been created in different capacities. All of us have been gifted. All of us have talents. Every one of us has a gift and talent that God has given to us And not one is more significant or better than the other. However, what we do with these gifts, these talents, will determine whether or not we reach our full potential in Christ. So we might start out by turning four nuts and bolts. But God had intended us or created us with a capacity to turn four million nuts and bolts. Let me explain if I can here. We all come in different shapes and sizes. We also have different capacities. And so some find themselves with a a different stage in life with a different capacity. Think through this with me. This capacity is able to perform this much. This capacity is able to perform this much. This capacity is able to perform more than this. Now what is it and what does it take for an individual, for a business, 
for a sports team, for a student, for a person, for a mother, for a father, for a man or woman, to enlarge their capacity. What is the thing that bumps this team to this level? What is it that bumps this coach to this level? What is it that bumps this mom to this level? What is it that bumps this businessman or woman to this level? It's capacity. There's this ability to enlarge our capacities. Scripture says it like this in Matthew 25. It says, if you're faithful in a few things, don't turn there. If you're faithful in a few things, then I'll put you in charge of many things. So whatever capacity that you choose to operate is the capacity of which you influence others. God has designed for us to continue to grow. It's the the process called sanctification, becoming more and more and more like Jesus. In doing so, we have greater and larger, larger impact. It has nothing to do with the size that we start with or the talent. This wrench might start out, like I said, with four. But by the time it continues to grow, it's doing four million and four. I believe this with all of my heart, that what Jesus talks about today is a step that helps us to fill in the gaps, to enlarge our capacity to influence others for Christ, that pushes us and creates us to be all that we've been created to be. So what is it that causes the difference between a person who spends their life here and a person that spends their life here? I'm convinced that it's steps of obedience. And one of the primary steps of obedience that we're going to look at today is allowing God to enlarge our capacities, to stretch us out, to put us in places where we have greater influence, greater success, a greater platform in the world so that we exalt Him. The way it happens, He comes into our lives. We allow Him to work through us. What is the primary means by which that happens? It's prayer. Now, let me explain this to you today. I believe this with all of my heart, that if you and I begin to implement prayer and everyday communication with Jesus Christ, that you and I will move from this to this. You show me a successful coach. You show me a successful student. You show me a successful mom, father, businessman, businesswoman, community. You show me a pastor. You show me a church. I will show you obedient man or woman of God who is asking God to empower them, to resource them on a regular basis and daily. It's this pipeline to God. And so he comes down on us and he expands our capacity. Primarily because we've been faithful in a few things. And as you're faithful in a few, he moves you to more and more. And the way that you're faithful is having this direct communication to God. The Spirit is convicting. The Spirit is leading. The Spirit is prompting. The Spirit is reminding. The Spirit is teaching. But you will never be this person that you've intended to be unless you're connected to God. But here's the problem. Most try to work their way there on their own. If I just take some more reps, if I just 
practice harder, if I just stay in the gym longer, if I just study more, if I just take another class, if I go to another conference, if I read another book, and God is saying, those things are great, but we must pray harder than we work. And so there's this sense that many of in the Christian realm are missing out on what Christ has intended them to be. And they never become all that Christ intended them to be. I'm convinced that it happens through prayer. And I'm going to show you why I believe that to be true. Now, just think about prayer for a second. Prayer unlocks the mysteries of the Christian walk. You show me a thriving man or woman of God, I will show you a praying man or woman of God. Way too many people are working harder than they are praying trying to do it all themselves. John Wesley said it this way regarding prayer. God does nothing except in answer to prayer. Nothing. God does nothing except in answer to prayer. Dale Carnegie, one of the most successful businessmen ever to live, was asked, what is your secret to success in life? And Carnegie replied, every day I pray, I yield myself to God. The tensions and anxieties go out of me, and peace and power come in me. Every day, peace and power come into me. The Christian does not allow prayer to drive, if the Christian does not allow prayer to drive sin out of his life, sin will drive prayer out of his life. Another quote that says this, prayer moves the hand that moves the universe. Oswald Chambers said it this way, never make the blunder of trying to forecast the way God is going to answer your prayer. W.C. Bowd said this, prayer is weakness leading, leaning on omnipotence. So Jesus is about to give you and I a key step of obedience that will, listen to me, it'll enlarge your capacity It'll put you on the front lines, not to bring attention to yourself, but ultimately to glorify him. Grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'll show you what I'm talking about. If you need a Bible, please hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But hold your hand up and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Prayer gains the attention of God. It gains God's attention. Matthew chapter 6 And I want you to look at verses 5 through 14. Matthew 6, first book of the New Testament, verses 5 to 14. Would you stand with me and we're going to read it out loud together. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. Read this with me, please, out loud together. Matthew 6, 5 through 14. Matthew 6, 5 through 14. Ready? Read. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You may have a seat. A couple of things come to mind for me right off the bat concerning prayer. Number one, Jesus' words to his disciples in Grace Community Church and those watching by internet is this. He assumes that we will be praying. And so he opens up this passage by saying, and when you pray. So there's this assumption that Christ followers pray and that we should do it regularly. Prayer is our lifeline. As your prayer life goes, as does your, so goes your personal life. You and I will not and cannot be all that we've been created to be unless we apply the step of obedience in prayer. It's impossible to reach your largest capacity and influence unless you're in tune with the Spirit by talking to God. With that being said, Jesus is about to give some great instruction on prayer. By the way, he could have said anything about prayer. So when he says this, there's a part of me that says, this is really important. We better apply this to our lives. We better check it out and see how this impacts me as a student, as a son, as a daughter, as a mother, as a father, as a single, as a married, as a businessman, as a businesswoman, as a coach, as a teacher, as a welder, as an employer. Before we go to Jesus' words, I have a few thoughts of my own on prayer. Prayer is the heartbeat that I try to make in my own personal life. It's my desire to see it continue be the heartbeat of Grace Community Church, too. In fact, if you've ever wondered why on Wednesday nights we don't have a bunch of other things going on, it's because we have a no-compete on Wednesday night. We don't compete. We don't have other Bible studies. We don't have other time. We have prayer only for adults. And for the last 17 years, that's been something we've been working hard at because I believe that prayer is the engine that drives the local church. And so if you're wondering, what is a way that I can reduce my large circle from a Sunday morning? I say, join us on Wednesday nights, come out and pray. And when you pray with people, you get to know people. And so in this room, just, just north of me, the, the training room on Wednesday nights, adults come and pray. And we pray for an hour and we pray for you. We pray for your lives. We pray for the ministries of Grace Community. And I am convinced the reason we're seeing God do what he's doing here is because of the faithful that come out every Wednesday night. We have plenty of ministries. We have children and youth. And so if you're dropping your kids off, come join us. Join us on Wednesday night for prayer. Most Christians underestimate the power of prayer. I would say it's the most important discipline of the Christian walk. Yet, you call a prayer meeting, it's very difficult to get this number of people to show up for a prayer meeting. There's something that's missing when we say in our minds that prayer isn't as important as studying God's word. Prayer is loaded. The Bible is loaded with prayer saying, if you ask, you receive. Prayer is the catalyst to passion. 
You show me a passionate woman of God, I'll show you a praying woman of God. You show me a passionate man of God, I'll show you a praying man of God. You cannot spend that kind of concentrated time with God without walking away and be visibly moved by it. You spend time with someone, you become like that someone. Prayer is the direct line to God through Jesus Christ. Any praying church has the fire of God moving in it, as does a family. Prayer is the greatest weapon that we have in our arsenal. You see, we neglect this incredible weapon that God has equipped us with. I use prayer in a variety of ways. I use it to battle against our enemy. This morning, early, as I was prepping even for this message, early in the morning, I sent out a a prayer barrage to heaven. And I sent out a protection over my family. And I prayed out the coordinate points of my home. 20081 County Road 146, New Paris, Indiana. God, send in your help. Send in your, the coordinate points. Bring in your ministering spirits. Protect the home. I sent them out this morning to 200 Seminary Drive, Winona Lake, Indiana. Third floor beta, third floor alpha. God, send in. Because that's where my son and daughter And my other son spent the night, so they needed some extra prayers there. So I sent them out there. But each day I send out those prayers to the coordinate points where my family lives. Why? Because prayer engages the heart of God. Scripture says that he's able to send his ministering spirits to that spot. I sent them out to 200776 County Road 36 today. Listen to me. When's the last time you sent out as the leader, men, husbands of your home, to the coordinate points of your household? When's the last time you prayed it over the coordinate points of the cars that your wives and your children drive? When's the last time you prayed the coordinate points of where they would be spending their day at the schools? Listen, prayer sends incredible protection. Why walk through this life without asking God to send protection? And so Jesus is telling us, this is a prescription for your life to reach a potential of the largest capacity that you've been formed for and to make the greatest difference in the world. Prayer, and so Jesus says, pray not to draw attention to yourself, but to honestly establish God as the key to everything in your life. It's not about you is what he's saying in this prayer. In fact, when he opened it up, Look what he said in verse 5. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. In other words, there's many who pray like the hypocrites. Hypocrites, the Jewish people would stand on the corner of the streets at certain times of the day, four or five times a day, and they would cry out, look at me, I'm praying, here I am. Jesus said, don't be like them. Don't be like the pagans who babble on. Have you ever prayed with someone? They just babble, 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 and you just want to say, God, help me. Jesus said, help me, not we need this whole litany of all these things that we've learned since kindergarten and flannel graph on. Just pray it out to God. Pray it out. He knows what's best for you. In other words, he wants us to acknowledge him. Every prayer doesn't need us to remind God of who he is, too. And so, now listen to me. There are times we do. We acknowledge him in praise and and we exalt his attributes and, and his abilities. But sometimes we don't have to take 
everything that he's always done. And you know when that is. The Spirit checks your spirit and says, hey, you don't need to show people your knowledge of God's Word. And sometimes you, you'll, God says, be careful. Because sometimes you could pray as if you're trying to show off your knowledge. Now think about when you communicate with people. Some of us do that. And when it goes bad, not always, you can tell it. People like to remind God of who he is and, and what he's created and what he did in Jeremiah and, and John and Matthew and, and tell all the attributes and how and all these theological nuances and sub-Lassarianism. And you hear these people say, man, just talk to God. And so God is saying, there's times for that, but don't be like the pagans who babble. Seriously, when you talk to me, do you address me and say, Jim, born in 1962, he won the fifth grade 100-yard dash by diving across the line. He was the, the spelling bee champ in sixth grade. No, you say, Jim, what up? That's, it's, it's this picture of talking to me. Now, there's a reverence and respect for God, but if you're just saying all these great theological terms to express your knowledge, God says, hey, don't do that. Talk to me in awe and reverence. But listen to me, come to me in a humble spirit, broken before me. He also opens this passage by saying this, that not all prayer is done in private, but when you do pray, God answers those things that are done in secret. However, it doesn't mean that he doesn't answer things that are done in, in, in public too. How do I know that? Well, look back at this passage. Look how he begins what we call the Lord's Prayer, which I really think should be called the, the Disciples' Prayer. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us. See the hour and the us? Guess what? That means there were more people praying that. So it's a group mentality. There's great power in corporate prayer. So don't think that this says that you should keep your faith private only. No. Read on. There's a sense where everyone is gathered and praying together. He detests and is put off by prayers that are prayed to bring attention to oneself and their own intellectual ability. Length doesn't always equate sincerity, nor does knowledge equate to answers. God can answer the shortest and simplest prayers. I need help. I love you. Please come through. It's the sincerity that you have when you speak to God. Short prayers are all through the Bible. There are lengthy prayers. But listen, when you pray a lengthy prayer, make sure it's not to bring attention to yourself. And by the way, verse 8, God already knows what's best for you. We don't remind him over and over again, but approach him in sincerity and respect. With that being said, Jesus does acknowledge we should lift up the name of God in a sincere, respectful way. And if we do that, there's great benefit. In fact, look at verse 9 again. Look what it says in verse 9. Jesus says this. This then is how you, what? Should pray. When I was in seminary many years ago, and I took a lot of communication classes, one of the emphasis that one of my profs encouraged us as communicators and expositors of the word of God and preachers was, don't often use the word should. He said that word can be a disarming word. It can be a word that often kind of makes it you and them. It's almost, it, that word is, should be used when there's great emphasis. And so the time you say should sometimes puts people off. And so 
through the years, I've worked hard at addressing that. But I find it interesting here that Jesus himself says the word should. And in my mind, oh, we better pay attention. It's not that this is a good idea. This is a should, should. You better do this. This means do this. And so Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. The Bible also reminds us that we have not because we ask not. I love the imagery that's used in scripture regarding prayer. Before we begin to break open this, the disciples' prayer, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 5. I want to show you what happens with prayer. John was on the island of Patmos, and he had this vision, and he's recording the future things that are about to happen. It's a big word we call eschatology, future things. And so he's trying to write down what he has seen. And in the scene in Revelation chapter 5, he sees the throne room of heaven. And he says this. Look at Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8. John says, And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the what? Prayers of who? The saints. Now think about that for a second. He looks up in heaven. God gave him inside view. And there was this bowl. I don't know how big it was, but he could look at it. And this bowl contained these prayers of the saints. It's as if when you and I pray to God, these prayers pile themselves up inside of this bowl. And they continue to get more and more and more and more and more and more. So what happens with those prayers? Why collect a bowl of prayers? Well, look at Revelation chapter 8. Look what happens to those prayers. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 4. John continued to see the, in heaven, and he said this. The smoke of the incense together with the what? Prayers of the saints went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with what? fire from the altar and did what with it hurled it on the earth and there came peals of thunder rumblings flashes of lightning and a what earthquake there's this picture i love this imagery in scripture and so when i pray i often think this way there's this bowl even specifically like i have for my children josh hannah isaiah and for my wife Anne and for Grace Community Church. And so as I pray in those areas, there's this bowl, Josh prayers, Hannah prayers, Isaiah prayers, Ann prayers, Grace Community prayers, Jim prayers. And there's this sense that there's these bowls in heaven. And when we continue to power up, we continue to add to that bowl, there comes a moment when that final prayer that kind of just tips the scales, when it finally reaches the boiling point where God says, that's enough. There's this picture where the angels hurl it back down to earth and there's an explosion, there's a breakthrough, and something happens as a result of those prayers. By the way, that's pretty cool, isn't it? There's a picture. Now, pull away. What kind of bowls have you been building? Or what kind of bowls have you been trying to earn? Working harder, working harder, working harder, working harder, working harder. 
God, give me breakthrough. Give me influence here. God, allow this to happen. Or are you just trying to say, I'll do it on my own, do it on my own? God's saying there will come a time when that bowl is building and that influence is expanding where you will see me come through. And it's a picture of don't give up. If the breakthrough hasn't come today, keep throwing the prayers. If the breakthrough hasn't come tomorrow, keep throwing the prayers. If the breakthrough hasn't come in 20 years, there will come a day when an angel will grab it and there will be peals of lightning and thunder from heaven and there will be an explosion like you've never seen. Prayer is is what allows that to happen. So Jesus now gives the skeleton of prayer. He tells us this. Look at verse 9. He shapes Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. He gives a snapshot of how we should pray. Look what he says in verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, on a personal level, when's the last time you've ever used that word? Seriously, how many of you have ever used that word without saying to God this pastor? How many of you have ever used that in a sentence outside of for God in the last year? It's not even a word we use. Like you don't go up to your friend and say, dude, you hallowed. (laughs) We just don't do that. You don't walk up to your professor in college and say, hallowed. You just don't walk up to your boss on Monday morning and say, hallowed. You might say something else. You don't do that. It's like a word that's only reserved for God. It means great respect. It means having an all for someone or something. It's the sense of knowing who God is. I really got a greater understanding for God's name 15 years ago. And I look back at it, back on it. It was a turning point in my life. I was on a missions trip to Cambodia with Jay Bell. I went there and he was the, the leader and I was an intern leader with him. He was training me to become a leader to send short-term missions across the world. And so I I sat at his feet. I I listened to him. I watched him. I observed him. And so we walked into the marketplace in Cambodia in Batambang. And he wanted to show me something about names. And so we walked up to the counter. It was a watch dealer. And he walked up. And I watched him. And he began to to, um, converse with this businessman that was there. And so he asked the businessman as we were standing there. He said, do you know Yesu Kree? Yesu Kring in Kamai is Jesus Christ. I'll never forget this, and it really has. It's, it's changed my life permanently, by the way. And I watched this businessman look back at Jay Bell, and he had this look on his face, and Jay said, he said, who? And he said, Yesu Kree. And he looked back at Jay, and he said, oh, Yesu Kree, he not work here. I was like, and my heart was filleted wide open. Because if you would have asked that businessman if he knew Coca-Cola, he knew Coca-Cola. But he didn't know who Jesus Christ was. And I realized that Coca-Cola had done better marketing for their product than we had done for Jesus Christ on the other side of the world. I also recognized that that name wasn't any more than just another name. For, as far as he knew, Jesus didn't work there as Bob didn't work there, or Tim didn't work there, or Brad or Nicole didn't work there. And I remember just, I was disturbed by that. How can you be in the world in the year 2000 and not know who Jesus Christ is? 
And from that day on, I said, I'm going to make Jesus Christ known wherever I go. Because his name's above all name, my Bible tells me. And then we were, had this awesome opportunity in Cambodia. We got on these motorcycles and we were asked to drive out into the villages and go see Cambodians. And so I find myself in the middle of the jungle of Cambodia, driving to the jungle, seeing people who had never witnessed a white person ever in their entire lives. On the back of this motorcycle, I'd come up to the hut, and the first white person they saw was me. Imagine that. Here I am. And I remember sitting in a hut, and I was supposed to share the gospel with this woman I had never met in my entire life. I walked into this hut, and I saw this haggard, fear-laced woman, just the woes of trying to battle off fear. I mean, she, was, she looked 20 years older than probably she was. And as I was seated in this hut through a translator, I said this, my name is Jim Brown. And so through the translator, she said, his name is Jim Brown. Countenance never changed, so what, Jim Brown. Which way it should be. I never saw a change. And so I said, hello. She said, hello. The translator said, hello to her. And so then I began to say, I want to introduce you to Yesu Creed. And so This translator said, I want to introduce you to Yesu Creed, Jesus Christ. I'll never forget what happened in that hut almost 15 years ago. I said the name Jesus Christ and her whole countenance changed. I watched her go from weary, heavy, fearless. I saw her eyes brighten. I saw her countenance get bright. I saw an alertness that wasn't there when I said Jim Brown. I saw her visibly change on the outside. I was taken back. I wasn't certain what all was going on. And so then through the translator, I said, basically, what just happened? And so this woman then said this. I didn't understand through the translator said this. I said, what did she say? She said this. She said, this woman said, I've been waiting for that name all my life. Here's what happened. This is what happened in that moment. I'll never forget it as long as I live through this translator, she began to converse. And this woman over here who had never heard the name of Jesus Christ, had never seen a white man, knew who Coca-Cola was, said this that I'll never forget through the translator. She said, I want what he gives. This woman gave her life to Christ because she heard the name of Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. What does that mean to us today? Here's what it means to me. When I read the Bible, it's a completely different book to me. When I see a verb or an adverb or a conjunction, I read it. But when I see the name of Jesus, I pause. And here's why. He's the name above all names. He's the God of the mighty. And so it changed how I read scripture. It changed how I live out my life because I saw it played out in my life. It's the name above all names. And it says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Not Jim Brown, but Jesus Christ. And so Jesus himself is saying this in this prayer. My father's name is hallowed. He deserves respect and honor and awe. We don't use his name in slang. We don't say, oh my God, unless it's, oh my God, you're awesome. 
We don't use his name in vain because his name is the name of all, all names. Just a personal thing for me. Inside, I am filleted alive when I hear someone use the name Jesus Christ in an improper way. Because, oh, that's the name of all names. And so he's saying, when you approach God, know who you're talking to. It's all about him. And so he moves on. Think about this. Have you ever considered what that moment was like for God above? He's watching his son. And he hears his son say, hey, listen, disciples, as they're hanging on the slope of this mountain. When you talk about my dad, you revere his name. My dad's a great God. My dad's a great father. Father's in this room. Play this out on an earthly level. How often or how many times have you been privy, maybe secondhand information, or maybe you're seated in another room and you hear your son or daughter speak highly of you? What's it do for you? There's something that happens in like, wow, they respect me. They appreciate me. I bet in this moment, sidebar information here, that when this took place, God above his heart just beamed. Wouldn't any father, when their son talks about them like that? Jesus moves on. Look at verse 10. Next, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By the way, think about that from a pragmatic standpoint. It's perfect in heaven. So let's have perfect on earth. Let's operate on earth like you do in heaven. This reminds me of this. It's very difficult. A lot of people have struggled praying, God, your will in my life. God, I want your will only. A lot of people are afraid to pray that. They think it might mean giving up control of their own life. But the real truth is that many are working harder than they are praying. Either God calls the shots or you do. You know, there's an audacity or even, even an arrogance or even a, 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 a sinful attitude that we think that we know what's best for our lives. That somehow, God, I got this one out. I don't need to pray about this one because my will be done on this one. God, I can work my way here. And God's saying, no, pray. Jesus said, pray to God. Your will be done in my life. Another reason it's difficult for us to pray that prayer is because we pray, it, it is difficult to pray because we often doubt that God wants the best for us. That's really shallow thinking, by the way. So we think when we pray to God that somehow he doesn't know our name or he, like he's more concerned with what's happening in Israel right now or Iran. Like why would God even hear this prayer request that I'm praying down at Grace College or Bethel College or IPFW or ISUB or whatever college. Why would God pray what's happening in this dorm room when people are dying from starvation? I mean, seriously, you think God's going to be concerned about this ulcer I got in the roof of my mouth? It's like we think that God doesn't care. Listen, Bible tells us a lot that he knows everything. God even knows the number of hairs on our head. And so when we begin to think that God doesn't care about us, that he doesn't know our name, it shapes the reason why we don't pray. Bible's loaded. Pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. God wants what's best for us. So we think, well, how, why would he be concerned about what's happening in Elkhart County? Why would he be concerned about my John Deere that just dropped a belt and I need to get $20 for a belt to finish raking up the leaves? And why would God do it? Because he loves his children. Think about that. 
personal. Do you think that I wouldn't be as concerned about each one of my kids' own desires as, as one from the other? God cares about all his kids, and he cares about them the same. We look at this big universe and wonder if God really can understand or even know what's happening in my life. And we often base the outcome of the way we pray based on how we live our lives. So we go to God. We pray, God, can you provide? And we begin to think, boy, last person asked me to provide. I didn't do such a good job. God, will you help me to love this person? Then we think the way that I love, I don't do a very good job. So we think that's how God's going to respond. So we say, I'll just do it myself. God's ways are far above our ways. Another reason we're afraid to pray God's will for our life. We're afraid to pray because we think it might involve suffering. I've heard that over and over. Here's how it goes. Well, if I pray for God's will in my life, then I'm going to end up in Africa with headhunters and I eat tarantulas for breakfast. That's what we think. It's like, I don't want to go there just yet, God. I mean, I'm, I'm getting close, but no headhunters. That's for the weirdos, you know, the Brown family. You can send them, but don't send me. It's like, it's like we're afraid to pray God's will that he's going to send us somewhere that we weren't made to be sent to, that we haven't been gifted to be sent to, that we don't have the talent to be sent to. It's like all of a sudden he's going to take all these things that we have bents and, and skill sets in, and he's going to send us in the opposite direction. No! Now, some of you he might send there, and you'll be fit for that cause. By the way, last time I checked, it's not just in, in Africa that needs God's hand. It's in America. We need some businessmen and women and teachers and some coaches and some moms and some dads to get with it and to get it and to promote the gospel right here. By the way, this is not a prayer made for the weak. Here's some, so when you pray this, here's what often happens. We think, well, I'm not going to pray God's will for my life. And that means like I'm going to be like, you know, I'm going to be handing out bulletins the rest of my life. I'm going to be an usher at Grace Community. I'm going to be the best I, known that I can ush. I mean, it's just like, that's how we see it. It's like, that's it. By the way, that's a great ministry. However, we think that somehow if we pray this prayer, that it's going to be less and exciting than what we could ever contrive in our minds or do. I think it's just the opposite. I think this is a prayer for rebel rousers and troublemakers. I really do. I pray, I, I think that it means that we want to be part of what God's part of. Have you ever seen our creator God in the word of God back away from anything? Do you think he's going to put us on the back lines if we pray your will be done? The God that I love and serve, he's a frontline God. You better get dressed. You better put your armor on. You better change your address. And you better be saying, I'm on the front lines with God's will. That's what that says. And it might mean in your business, you're finally on the front lines. And God might just exalt you and give you uh, give you a capacity and give you a platform that you never had. You see, in our minds, you think, well, if God's will for my business, then he'll keep me here. Doggone it. He's going to have you on the front lines, and you're going to be talking to the movers and shakers of the world about Jesus Christ. That's praying his will. It's a lot different than we often think it is. By the way, this prayer is dangerous, and it's not made for the weak or the timid. So, In the Jim Brown paraphrase, I double dog dare you to pray this prayer. 
because you will end up on the front lines. Yes, it'll be challenging. Yes, you'll get hits. Yes, you'll have scars. Yes, you'll get criticism. Yes, you'll get beat up, but you'll be able to savor some incredible sweet victories when you're all alone with Jesus, and that's what matters. That's what you pray, and that's what you get. I believe this with all of my heart. So don't back away as if God's going to leave you here. (laughs) You better be prepared for here. Your will be done. Then he moves on. He says, your kingdom come. Give us today our daily bread. Pray for your daily needs. Let's move to verse 13. Then he says this in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Paul, sidebar. I pray this prayer every morning. Pray what prayer, Pastor Jim? I pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Think about that prayer for a second. I know that I'm one step away, take heed lest I fall, that I could throw away everything that God has ever done in my life as a father, as a husband, as a pastor. I know that I'm one sin away from destroying the reputation and the ministry that God has placed on my life. So regularly I'm praying, God, help me. And so I pray every morning, God, If it's possible to not lead me into temptation, then doggone it, I don't want to go there. And God, if you can deliver me from the evil one and from evil, then do it. I often pray this, and God, for all those people who don't pray their prayer, give me theirs too. And you, You laugh, I do. And so I'm constantly praying for protection. I'm constantly praying for God deliver me from temptation. When's the last time you prayed that? Or you just kind of walk through life and say, I mean, there's another temptation, another temptation, another temptation. You know what you're tempted by, and I know what I'm tempted by. And if God can deliver me of that temptation, guess what? That's going to allow me to do that rest of the day. Instead of spending all my time on this, I'm going to advance in the kingdom of God. Verse 12. Changed the way I read it this week. That's why I skipped over it. Look at verse 12. Then he says, pray this. Forgive us our what? as we also have forgiven our what? Now, let's read that again. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. I want you to think about this for a second. Unless, here's what, here's what this means. This is what this means. There's no other way around it. This is what this means. Unless you forgive others, God will not forgive you. Did you hear what I said? Unless you forgive that ex-husband, that ex-wife, Unless you forgive that former employer or that present employer, unless you forgive that person, that pastor, that coach, that teacher, that brother, that sibling, that person that did this to you, unless you forgive them, guess what? God won't forgive you. I'm not saying that. Augustine said it this way. Augustine said it this way. He called this part of the Lord's Prayer, signing your own death warrant. And here's what he means by that. The way you treat others, you're asking God, treat me that way. Seriously, that's what it says. It says, forgive us or forgive me of my debts as we have forgiven others. The way we treated others, God, that's how I want you to treat me. Whoa. So what you're saying is, God, the way that I'm bitter and angry and resentful and hold gossip and angst and and lack of forgiveness toward this person, God, would you give me a good dose of that too? That's what it says. It says, if you're harboring bitterness against me, against someone else, guess what? Your God above is going to not forgive you. Augustine also called this the terrible petition. 
He says, if you pray while harboring an unforgiving spirit, you are actually asking God to not forgive you. Since I have not forgiven my brother, then please, God, you're saying, don't forgive me. (laughs) Since I have bitterness towards him and her and that former and that ex and this and those and that present, then God, don't forgive me. John Wesley tells the story of a general during his time who he met. And he went up to him and this general said, I don't forgive anyone. To which Wesley replied, then, sir, I hope you never sin." Because God will never forgive you. It's like sending an email. Have you ever sent an email and you get this reply back that says, out of office, be back at this day. Don't you just love those? And you're wondering, should I send it again? And you finally realize it gets to them. But it's like sending, hitting a a, a prayer to God and hitting send. And it goes to God when you're harboring bitterness and anger against all these people. And it goes to God and you get this reply back that says, out of office. That's what he does. It doesn't get there. It's an instant reply that comes back. No, I'm not going to touch that prayer request. No, I'm not going to come through. No, I'm not going to expand your your influence. No, I'm not going to allow you to be that person. No, I'm not going to. I'm out of the office until you check in and forgive. That's hard information today. And what I found this week that I've never connected before, Jesus reemphasizes this. Look again at verse 14. Look what he says. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will what? Not forgive your sins. Why did he repeat that? I've never connected this to the Lord's Prayer, to be quite honest. This was an aha moment for me this week. And it also emphasized, Jesus could have went back, he could have recapped anything in the disciples' prayer. He could have talked about the will, he could have talked about hallowed be his name, he could have talked about daily bread, he could have talked about temptation, but he went back and he reminded them, listen, this is important. Don't forget the forgiveness part because it impacts the rest of your life and all these other things that you're praying for. Fat chance for you unless you forgive. What he's saying is, if you don't forgive, by the way, Jesus adds his own commentary to the disciples' prayer. And he emphasizes it. Why? Because he knows that you and I will struggle with it the rest of our lives. By the way, I'm not the first to say this, but many, many men who are a lot smarter than me, theologians say that there is such a thing as an unforgiven Christian who walks on planet earth. Now, not in the sense of justification that you, Jesus took your sins to the cross and, and you're born again. And he died for all your sins. Sure, the gift out of that is eternal life in Jesus Christ in heaven. But the reality is this, is that you could walk on planet earth and live as an unforgiven Christian and you'll never become all that you were intended to be if you hold angst and bitterness and unforgiving spirit against. You are living as an unforgiven Christian. Lights went off this week for me. I'm just being honest. I started thinking about individuals. No wonder they're in such a mess. I started thinking about businesses. No wonder. I started thinking about individuals that are in this cycle of insanity. No wonder. 
I started to think about people in their lives. They never reached their full potential. No wonder. It all made sense. It's all connected. And I saw these people who were harboring bitterness and anger against God will never bless it. You've been praying to God, but you've been living as an unforgiven Christian. This is game changer stuff today, Grace Community. There's an inseparable link to the way you treat other people and the way God treats you. Husbands and wives who slander each other on Facebook. And then they pray to God, God, please come through. And when you send that prayer, it comes back out of office. It's probably time to do some personal inventory in our lives. Do I harbor bitterness against my father and my mother, a coach, an employer, a teacher, a husband, an ex, a former? Am I holding a grudge? Am I jealous? Am I up to date on my forgiving? You are never closer to Jesus, more like Jesus, or able to experience real freedom until you learn to forgive. That's the key that unlocks the rest of the disciples' prayer. That's the key that will keep you from temptation. That's the key that will enable you to have your daily bread. That's the key that keeps the evil one away. That's the key to communion. That's the key from taking this wrench and having larger capacity because you're in tune by obedience to God and he's prompting you, he's filling you, he's empowering you. That's the key from moving here to here. You will never have the greatest influence and live to your redemptive potential unless you live a life where you regularly forgive others. It's like an archer, a bow hunter, who wants to shoot an arrow. And so he has an arrow that's straight and it doesn't have anything attached to it. And so when he pulls it back, he releases it and it flies freely. It's the prayer sent. It's unhindered. There's nothing attached to it. It gets directly to the target. And so when you do that, it, the prayer gets directly to God. Yet many of us are shooting prayers like this. And we wonder, why can't this prayer get there? Why does it seem like it's going against the wall? How come God hasn't come through? How come I'm not getting insight in my business, in my life? Why am I still at this lowly spot? It's because there's this unforgiveness attached to it, and it never reaches its intended destination. And if it does, it comes back out of office reply. God, help us today. There's many in this room that harbor bitterness and lack of forgiveness towards parents and roommates and formers and exes and coaches and presents and preachers and teachers and wives and husbands and moms and dads. And they wonder, why can't I make any traction in my life? I pray, God, that this would be the turning point where we finally release and say, I forgive. God, maybe that means today that we send a text or an email or 
we just call someone up and say, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Lord, the way that we treat others is the way that you're going to treat us.